Hello, everybody. I'm Ahmed Kuchi, and you are listening to Jazz's Travel. Hello everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikuchi here welcoming you to a new episode of Jazz is Travel. This is a podcast series that explores jazz and creative music in all four corners of the globe, touching on cross-cultural projects, different music traditions and much more through conversations with or about groundbreaking, innovative and visionary artists. Our guest today is drummer-composer Rohan Krishnamurti, one of the leading voices of Indian classical and cross-genre music. And the starting point for our coming together on this latest Jazz's Travel conversation is the album debut of the Alea Project, a trio with Prashant, Radhakrishnan and Colin Hogan. Together they blend the Carnatic tradition of Indian classical music with contemporary styles including electric jazz, bebop and funk on their self-titled debut album which will be released tomorrow on the 14th of August. So without further ado, fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Here is our podcast conversation with Rohan Krishnamurti. <laughs> Hi, Rohan. Welcome to Jazz's Travel. Great to be here. Thanks uh, for having me, Matt. Oh, it's a real pleasure to have you on our little podcast, and thank you for joining us. Uh, what part of the world are you speaking to us from? Uh, so I'm beaming in from uh, my home in Oakland, California. Uh, Rohan, this is the first time we talk. This is the first time you're on our, our podcast series. I, I'd love to know a bit more about uh, your background. Uh, where were you born? Yeah, so um, I'm uh, a second-generation Indian-American. I was born in uh, just uh, in Los Angeles and Pasadena. And uh, I mostly grew up in a small town in, in Michigan called Kalamazoo. So Kalamazoo, Michigan is my, my hometown. Some people know Kalamazoo from, uh, from this uh, song, I Once Knew a Girl from Kalamazoo from that's decades right. ago. Um, it's a very small, small town. And um, yeah, that's where I kind of grew up. I uh, later went on to um, school. I went to college in Kalamazoo and then I went uh, on to grad school in upstate New York. And I've been based here in the, in the Bay uh, for about a decade now. Uh, and now you are kind of known as one of the leading voices in Indian classical and cross-genre music of the South Asian uh, diaspora. But 
did you always have that connection to your, you know, cultural heritage or was it something that you appreciated only as you got a bit older uh, and kind of matured a little bit? Yeah, I mean, when, you know, when I look back at my uh, sort of musical journey, it's like, um, it's a, it always sort of strikes me, it's, it's, it's such an unusual, unexpected, uh, unlikely kind of thing. So uh, even though I grew up in this very small town in, in Michigan, Kalamazoo, um, I was always very much connected to my uh, cultural lineage, my traditions, and um, uh, through the uh, Indian diaspora. And yeah, it was always very much a part of my, my upbringing. My, in fact, my first you know, musical language uh, was South Indian classical or Carnatic music. So that was my you know, first uh, formal sort of entry into music. And, um, and then I expanded into uh, drum set and piano and jazz and classical and, and different genres uh, after that. So, so even though it was a very, very small sort of Indian uh, diasporic community in Kalamazoo, it was just large enough to kind of support my interests in, in learning and and performing at a, um, at a at a local level, and um, yeah, so it's always it's always been there uh, right from the beginning, and um, and I think in that sense my journey has been a little different. Um, there are a lot of um, I think folks who've started in say a Western uh, kind of instrument or genre, and then kind of branched out into something else. Um, but my approach is just kind of the opposite, actually. How did that uh, sort of training process uh, start uh, in the Carnatic tradition? I mean. Yeah. Um, well, you know, my whole family's into into music. Uh, my parents immigrated from India back in the 80s uh, to L.A. and uh, then um, uh, moved to Kalamazoo. My dad's a professor there at the university. So, um, so you know, they're just, I, there was a lot of music uh, kind of at home. Uh, my, my parents had an incredible uh, sort of record collection, uh, tape, you know, cassette collection uh, that they'd uh, sort of created over over many many years, you know, through the whole uh, not just buying things, but there was kind of like a bartering system, you know, um, of Indian music collectors. You know, someone would have this recording, and then you'd give them make a copy of this recording to get that one, and and all this stuff. So I just kind of grew up with this huge huge uh, repository of uh, Indian classical music, um, and so I was just kind of you know growing up listening to that. Uh, there was a small uh, Hindu temple uh, in Kalamazoo, um, uh, and. Uh, uh, we used to go to that, you know, every week, and um, so I was kind of exposed to sort of the devotional singing, the bhajans or, um, uh, that were part of the community, so I was, you know, listening to that every week, and then, you know, uh, actually, I mean, what happened is my dad uh, always had an interest in learning uh, the mridangam. The mridangam is kind of the principal percussion instrument in Carnatic music, and uh, there happened to be a, like a grad student in town, uh, Damodaran Srinivasan. He was a, a grad student at the local university, and he was trained in the Murdangam, you know, from India. So he'd come come from India with this training, and and uh, my dad, you know, uh, approached him and said, "Hey, uh, I have this instrument. Can I start learning?" And uh, my dad was a professor at the time, and you know, you can imagine how busy he was. So after like a few months, it kind of fizzled out. Um, but then I just sort of asked my parents one day. I said, "I said, hey, can I start?" learning and um, I don't think they really thought anything uh, too much of it and I, I also didn't really think it through you know um, long term or anything I just said hey we have this instrument it sounds kind of cool I was hearing it you know in these different settings of the temple or small like um, kind of musical music gatherings at home and yeah and then I kind of you know started learning and um, I kind of really jumped right in and my first teacher you know Dhammadan Srinivasan it was just kind of a blessing that he happened to be in Kalamazoo Michigan you know in the mid 90s uh, of all places and um, so he's the one who really got me started and um, it, it kind of went morphed in all these different directions. He graduated, he moved to Boston. So um, I actually uh, learned over the speakerphone from him. This was kind of like an early, <laughs> long, long distance education kind of thing. There were no other teachers, right? Uh, 
uh, within like three hours, four hours of Kalamazoo. So I learned about the speakerphone from him. And um, and then I, I, I happened to meet uh, a master, uh, Murdangam Guru uh, from Chennai, India. He was on a concert tour uh, and he made a stop in, in uh, Michigan. So I happened to meet him and um, things just kind of kind of clicked. I just met him backstage and he said, hey, you know, next time you come to India, why don't you come over to my place and I'd be happy to teach you. And Kind of, and that, that happened, um, yeah, when I was about 10 years old and I've uh, been studying from him. His name is uh, Gurubhaya Dorai, uh, one of the legends in the field. So uh, he's been my, my sort of musical you know, mentor uh, since, since then. Uh, that was around the age of 10. Was this also yeah. when you began to kind of think that maybe that's what you would like to do in life full time? Uh, no way. I think that happened much, much later. Um, uh, it's just... Uh, you know, it just kind of things kind of happen step by step, and I I started getting a lot of performance opportunities in the uh, sort of Indian music scene. Um, you know, when I was around 10, 11, there was some things happening locally, and then people started calling me in Detroit and Chicago, sort of places, uh, larger uh, centers in the Midwest. Um, and then I started playing quite a bit more. I started performing in India. You know, uh, I think probably when I was about 11, 12 onwards. And um, again. You know, so much of this, um, you know, my story involves like the the sort of constant support of you know family and and teachers and um, this you know this community that that uh, allows you to do something like this. So, um, so I think you know things just kind of progress step by step. And by by the time I was in high school, you know, so of course you know Indian classical music was a, a huge part of you know um, my upbringing. But of course, I was listening to all sorts of other things on TV and you know on the radio and uh, different styles and. Uh, I think by high school, it really started uh, like uh, having some friends who were very seriously jazz musicians or uh, kind of like rock musicians. And I started thinking about, you know, uh, sort of the connections, you know, how can I sort of connect um, the sounds and the experiences that I was having in any classical music in these other areas. And we started sitting and kind of tinkering with things. So it really seriously started in high school. And uh, in college, I studied music. I actually did a double major in music and chemistry. So even in, in college, I wasn't sure you know, uh, what I was going to be doing long term. Um, but I, the whole time I was I was performing, um, I started teaching uh, some private students, you know, even in high school. So things just kind of kind of developed uh, organically. And then soon enough, uh, <laughs> you know, people start putting the label on you're a professional musician. I was like, okay, cool. That sounds, <laughs> sounds nice. Um, but it just kind of happened very organically, step by step. And I did, I went on to um to grad school, I did a, you know, a, a PhD in ethnomusicology um, at the Eastman School of Music. So by that point, then I was really serious. I said, okay, I really, you know, I will be doing this, you know, full time and focusing on it. And, um, but I was still very much in the learning phase. I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could about uh, not just Indian classical music, but other genres and also kind of the full context, the social, the cultural, historical context of the music that I was a part of. Well, uh, a lot of that kind of uh, exploration of fusions of styles and genres is kind of at the heart of what the uh, Alea project is all about, which I'm excited to talk with you about. But so you mentioned that this was something that you personally began to explore early uh, in your art own artistic explorations then. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, a lot of these things happen, I think, before we even realize it. Right. So when you grow up, you know, in a town like Kalamazoo, um, as a kind of third cultural space, um, you really, you know, you're just, you're subconsciously thinking, okay, you know, here's this, this world that I'm, you know, uh, sort of in and, and learning about and, and performing, but there's all these other things that are happening as well. So, you know, my mind is always interested in the connections, you know, how can we connect 
you know, um, all these different, these different genres, these different traditions. And I think a big part of that was the fact that I'm a, a drummer, um, you know, and a percussionist. And for me, rhythm was always kind of like, it was a universal language, right? It was the kind of the most basic elemental way of connecting things and all forms of music, you know, uh, have rhythm. So whenever I would listen to something, I would immediately hear the rhythm and say, oh yeah, that's kind of, it's like this other thing that I know, or it's like this other thing that I know. So I would, I never kind of went into it with boundaries saying, oh, this is, this is different, this is different. Of course things are different, but um, I was always kind of attracted to the things that were connecting and it was often, oftentimes rhythm. The track you are hearing is from the Alea Project's debut album, which will be released on the 14th of August. Krishnamurti founded the group and is the artistic director who composes many of its pieces and determines its set list, but the music is also the result of a collaboration between friends. We talk about it some more in the second part of today's Jazz Ace Travel Podcast conversation, coming up right now. So jumping ahead to the uh, Alea project, uh, can you tell me a bit how this it, it started? Uh, because uh, I, I believe the three of you have known each other for quite some time, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the Alea project um, features uh, the core of core of it's this trio, um, and I'm playing drum set and uh, and Indian percussion, Carnatic percussion, um, uh, Prashant Radha Krishnan's on sax, um, and uh, Colin Hogan's on uh, keys and accordion. So Prashant and I have known each other. Uh, I think actually for about 25 years at this point, which is really hard to believe. Um, but I think we met when you know we were in middle school, and uh, he grew up in Phoenix, and he had a similar kind of story as mine. You know, he grew up in um, you know in Fe- in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, but he was very very much uh, uh, steeped in the kind of Carnatic music tradition. And we met at these Indian music festivals when we were kind of in middle school onwards, and started performing together. Um, and he also was studying you know jazz, and then later on in college, he also studied studied um, uh, sort of jazz saxophone. So so we immediately kind of, you know, connected. And again, it was a long distance kind of thing, but uh, we kept meeting and um, uh, each other, you know, every year, different performances. And um, we're always kind of thinking, yeah, I mean, we have this, you know, uh, really strong Carnotic connection, um, but there's all these other things that we're also trying to connect. And we were always kind of talking and, and thinking about that. Um, so I've known him for a very, very long time. And, um, and Colin Hogan, I've known since I've been to the Bay, uh, Colin's kind of a Bay Area heavyweight. He's an incredible, incredible uh, keys player, and he plays with all these different genres. And he's also comes from a very uh, different um, kind of multi musical background. Um, his parents exposed him very early as a kid uh, to um, the North Indian tabla and you know uh, African percussion and uh, Balinese music. Um, his parents actually were some of the first people to um, uh, to start like the first gamelan uh, ensemble, Indonesian gamelan percussion ensemble in in the United States. 
Um, so he also grew up in this very kind of cross-cultural kind of uh, environment. So, but you know, the first time we actually came together as the Alea project was was in 2017. So even though we'd known each other for a long time, we played in a lot of different contexts, um, traditional, mini classical, and crossover. It was in 2017 that we first came together as the Alea project. Um, yeah, it's a funny story because uh, basically we were. Uh, it was the 50th uh, anniversary of the Sgt. Pepper's uh, album, uh, the Beatles' <laughs> Sgt. Pepper's album. There's this big tribute concert happening at. Um, at UC Theater here in Berkeley, uh, I was invited to to do a cover of uh, "Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite," and uh, it was a really you know I, I when I was first contacted, I assumed I'd be doing one of the more overtly kind of Indian Indian music pieces in, in the album, but then you without you or something. But said, hey, can you do Mr. Kite? And um, it's a it's a very you know kind of quirky tune. Um, I said, okay, cool, this will be an interesting challenge. So I immediately uh, hit up you know Prashant and and also had the sound of the accordion you know, in my mind and you know um collins you know my uh my sort of go-to accordion player and uh, we came together and, and created this you know cover and uh, that was actually the first time that we came together as the alaya project and after those rehearsals and the creative you know process you know it really occurred to me that yeah we we have a, a lot of material here and we we really need to be uh performing and, and recording and sharing this so um, so that's how, how it all started. So I always kind of joke that uh, in, even though we're kind of at the, you know, intersection of uh, Carnatic music and contemporary jazz and funk, like at, at heart, we're actually a Beatles cover band. <laughs> so uh, so then did you start immediately after that concert? Did you start thinking about maybe recording something together as uh, as a trio? Well, I think the recording part of it came a little bit later. We, we you know, had a lot of rep that we were already thinking about and I'd, you know, written uh, a lot of tunes and just kind of, you know, they were all kind of in the vault. And then uh, around like 2018, uh, we really sat and, you know, really rehearsed a lot of things, practiced a lot of things and kind of put all the ideas on the table. Uh, 2019 is when we really first started performing uh, and touring a lot. So we had a lot of shows um, back in 2019. And then and then at that point, it was like, okay, great. We have, you know, we have a lot of material that's recorded. And of course, the pandemic hits. <laughs> so it was this kind of two years of, you know, two and a half years of sort of hibernation and sort of survival mode. But this recording, this um, and this record that we're putting out um, was really something that helped us get through the pandemic, I have to say, um, because it was a project that, you know, it was it was so hard to find a, the right time uh, for all of us to actually meet in the studio with all the, you know, the vaccine coming out and then everyone had a different sort of risk tolerance and different, you know, uh, sort of, you know, COVID living situations. So, um, to just, but it was one of these things that we knew that we, you know, we had to do it and, um, and we knew that we could do it. It was just finding the right time. So finally last year, uh, we found, you know, uh, found that perfect time and it was just kind of this, this celebration. Um, we spent literally all day in the studio. I think it was like 14 hours or something all day. We were in the studio and we just, we, we ran through everything and recorded literally everything, uh, pretty much in, in that one, one marathon day. Yes, so that's something that I read and I found interesting as well. So you you have known each other for some time and you were working together on music, but then in the end, the recording all took place in the course of one day. Uh, do you think that also brought something to uh, the final piece? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, this was you know music that we had been you know playing and thinking about for for a long time, and like I said, in 2019, we did a lot of live live shows, especially here in the Bay Area. Um, through the jazz and sort of world music, you know, festival circuit. So, you know, my my idea with the recording, the recording session is, you know, um, uh, was to really go in and just, you know, try to record everything with minimum uh, sort of overdubs and and you know retakes. And um, and I, you know, I have 
the thing with with Prashant and Colin and, and this trio is that I have you know a hundred percent trust and faith in them. So um, even when I when I compose pieces for for the band, um, I'm very much thinking how can I create these kind of like structures of improvisation that really inspire them to also you know bring out their best. So so I I always you know trust that whatever they're going to do is going to be you know incredibly tasteful. Um, so I wanted to kind of go in with the idea of instead of you know, doing retakes is let's try to just do, you know, three or four solid takes of each piece and just kind of go through the way, the way we would in the performance. And, and um, looking back, I, I realized that was, um, uh, that was a very, very ambitious and possibly very risky <laughs> uh, undertaking, but that's actually, you know, miraculously sort of what happened. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we just ended up with, with multiple incredible takes and then it was less an issue of, you know, do we have to redo this or, you know, punch in anything, but more as, more of what's the most sort of musical, you know, take and um, and yeah, and that's pretty much how the album, you know, um, kind of very very organically uh, developed. I kind of read the album defined as an Indo jazz funk fusion, which even on paper sounds amazing. But I, I also was able to notice some some other influences there too. For example, you know, track four, uh, there's a bit of tango in there, right? That's right. Yeah, Nino Evo. Um, so that's a piece um, that actually Colin, you know, brought to the table, and um, uh, and it kind of incorporates the, you know, uh, in the spirit of Astor Piazzolla, the kind of um, tango, yeah, Argentinian t- tango, uh, you know, sort of nuevo tango tradition. So uh, it, it features that kind of texture, and that was actually a piece I remember asking Colin. I said, "We need we need more of your accordion uh, in this album because you're just such an incredible player, and it's such a rare thing that you know, you know people don't really hear that all the time." So. Um, so that's how we kind of brought that tune. And it has a kind of a head that has some of these interesting Indian rhythmic kind of structures to it as well. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a very different kind of texture that brings that uh, a beautiful sort of tango uh, rhythmic flair. Yeah, yeah. And then who does the vocals on track three? Track three's Emerge, yeah. So that was um, a new, that was actually the most recent piece that I wrote for the, uh, for the Alaire project. That's um, a very good friend of mine, Aditya Prakash. She's uh, also a second-generation American uh, singer, a Carnatic and crossover singer from Los Angeles. And uh, we've known each other again for a very, very long time and uh, uh, performed and toured together and in many different contexts. So um, I was really hearing his voice on that. Um, that was a piece that was kind of, uh, kind of, you could say, inspired by some of the textures of Shakti, um, you know, this kind of, Supergroup with uh, uh, with the John McLaughlin and uh, El Shankar, uh, Zakir Hussain, Bikuv and Aikalam. So that was a sound that I was exposed to very, very, very early on, probably in high school, um, and it was always something very interesting to me. And as it um, turned out, actually, this uh, this spring, I, I had the opportunity to tour uh, with El Shankar, the incredible uh, violinist and and composer. Um, so I was kind of you know very inspired by that experience and um, and brought that. Um, uh, brought that piece uh, into the album, and uh, so yeah, Aditya was uh, singing on that one. Yeah, that's that, that, that's awesome. Yeah, it's another uh, great track on this record. It's a great album. Uh, uh, we uh, in closing, I did want to ask you uh, a final question because you know. You see a lot of videos of drummers on YouTube, even talking about their drum kits and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, one of the one of the things I found fascinating about this record is the different kind of percussive uh, uh, and drum sounds that that you hear on it. Uh, because we've been talking about how this album is uh, a lot of it is about few the, this fusion of uh, South Asian traditions with Western styles and more. And a lot of that is reflected also in uh, the the drums and the percussions that you play, right? So, I mean, 
I kind of wanted to ask you whether you could tell us about some of the, at least some of the main elements in your kit for this session. Absolutely, yeah. So, so you know, my um, hybrid kit here basically uh, features the the drum set, um, kind of the standard features of the drum set, the cymbals, uh, uh, the uh, snare, the kick kick drum, uh, and uh, some of the core uh, Carnotic percussion instruments, so the murdungam, which is the double sided pitched drum. Uh, there's a, a ganjira, which is like a frame drum. Uh, there's a gadam, which is like a clay uh, clay drum, hand drum. And um, yeah, basically the hybrid kit, uh, a lot of these ideas also very much uh, developed as I was developing the idea of the hybrid kit. Um, so I started learning, you know, drums back in uh, in high school and, um, and really seriously kind of went into it in college, um, jazz and kind of funk drums. But again, you sort of start learning things separately okay here's you know here's indian percussion here's western percussion you know as, a, as though it's a dichotomy but in my mind i was always hearing and and, and exploring those connections so uh, the hyper kit that i'm working on basically finds a way of bridging um not only the instruments but also more generally hand drumming and stick drumming so uh there are times where i'm using you know a hand on a drum a stick with the other hand and, and my feet on you know kick drum and hi hat, so you know each each limb is kind of doing a different thing, um, and it also helps create this very the hybrid kit in general. Uh, whatever you're hybridizing with the drum set, it creates this very like uh, synthesized sound of drums and percussion. So you can blend all those elements you know exactly the way you want. So I remember many times playing uh, early on uh, with with drummers where it just felt like the balance wasn't right. You know what I was doing wasn't being heard, but they were doing wasn't being heard. So I wanted to be able to really synthesize all of that and. Um, a lot of that inspiration also came from the fact that the drum set as an instrument, as I sort of later learned, is is really kind of this um, microcosm of American society, right? Every part of the drum set is coming from a different part of the world. And it was only sort of in America that you know we found out how to put them together and play them together harmoniously. So um, so I was very much inspired by that idea and seeing how we could bring you know Indian percussion into this and, and harmoniously uh, have it uh, interplay with all the other elements. Uh, so are you guys going to be taking the show on the road? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, now that things are slowly, you know, opening up, um, well, actually things have, things have opened up and, uh, and it's kind of been a tsunami. Um, it feels like two steps forward, one step backward, but, uh, uh yeah. I think everyone's trying to, to perform and bring things, uh, you know, back onto the live stage while we can. So yeah, we actually have a lot of shows coming up, um, here in the Bay. We actually just played the, uh, Yerba Buena Gardens Festival just last week and, um, several shows coming up um, uh, here uh, in in this uh, in the fall, and um, uh, we're on Black Cat Jazz um, in the fall, and uh, Hammer Theater Series in San Jose, and um, Center for New Music. So a lot of things are coming up, and uh, hopefully next year, once you know, once the album's out, the album actually releases August fifteenth. So uh, once the album's out, we definitely hope to to take it uh, on the road next year. That sounds great. Well, Rohan, thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks, Matt.
hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rohan Krishnamurti. His new album with the Alea Project, which marks the band's self-titled debut, will be available on the 14th of August. And I hope you will join me again next week for more Jazz's Travel Conversations. In the meantime, make sure to check out more of our excellent content on jazzes.com. Till the next time, this is Matt McCucci signing off. See you soon.